Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of <laughs> this episode of ADHD. <laughs> I mean, this episode of Be the Wolf, and we're going to address the question, could you have ADHD? I'm here with uh, Kate, tell me your last name again, Vaughn Aachen. Yes. Yes. There you go. <laughs> So we are here and we're going to talk about ADHD and we're going to talk about Kate's journey of becoming the wolf that she is, the powerful woman. And she's an adult therapist and she says she's an ADHD hype man. Now tell me, what do you mean by an ADHD hype man? Well, I had a client who has ADHD as well, or is ADHD, one day say to me, if ADHD were a rapper, you would be their hype man, because I really, there's so much negative experience, but also stigma placed on ADHD folks by outsiders, by themselves, uh, that I really try to spin the positives and look at all the positive things that, that can and frequently do accompany ADHD brains. Well, and I think that's really important. It doesn't matter, you know, being the wolf is so much about being who you are, being who you're born to be. But part of that is really accepting who you are in your full glory. And the human body and mind is a very powerful thing. It is trying always to reach this level of like, balance. So we may have a part of us that swings way to one side and then another part to the other side. And it's always creating some semblance of trying to keep the balance within the body and the mind. And sometimes stuff gets a little out of whack. But yeah. when we're fighting against how our particular brain works, I think that's a big piece that really creates a lot of problems for people. Yeah. And when you have, when you don't think the normal way, which a lot of the people that I consider wolves don't think the normal way, they don't fit into that normal box that everyone does, you know, you've got to fight against these things where people think that you're wrong or yeah. people think that you're not right mm -hmm. that there's something you know if you were right you would be doing this but let's face it we're not all exactly the same yeah yeah and it's awesome to not be the same <laughs> totally yeah. it's the the downside of not being the same is it doesn't come with a manual right but <laughs> what does Really? <laughs> exactly. There's no manual for life. Well, there isn't. And if you're not the same, which none of us are the same, we all have our own unique experiences. We have our own ways of thinking based on those experiences. We have genetic makeup that carries all this information. So none of us are exactly the same. And I think one of the big problems people get into across the board is 
that trying to fit into what they think is normal, trying to fit into the box of what is perceived as the right way to be. But each and every one of you need to know right now that who you are is perfectly perfect. And yes, there's stuff we can work on and maybe we want to shift and become the best version of ourselves. And a big piece of that is learning to accept ourselves and learning to understand how to operate with our special unique gifts. Because the ADHD brain comes with some unique gifts, I think. Yes, I agree (laughs) wholeheartedly. (laughs) So before we dive into your story, can you, as an adult therapist, can you give a breakdown to people what, you know, there's a lot of ideas, oh, hyperactive in a chair, can't focus, da-da-da-da-da, that's you know, the basics of what people know about ADHD. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it shows up practically in people's lives? Sure. Yeah, I think the the common assumption is forgetfulness and hyperactivity. Absolutely. And so you see a lot of, when you look at the research, any gender can be hyperactive, but frequently see boys as children being the ones getting diagnosed ADHD. And I think that's a lot of where some of the thoughts that it's overdiagnosed come from. For people born female at birth, there's a higher tendency to have an attentive type, which used to be called ADD, attention deficit disorder. Now it's all one spectrum under ADHD with three different types, the primarily inattentive, the hyperactive impulsive, and then combined presentation when you meet criteria for both. Um, So so, what are the symptoms, though, besides the hyperactivity that people say? When you look at the diagnostic criteria, it's forgetfulness, difficulty sustaining attention with things that take more mental effort, hyperactivity, impulsivity, difficulty waiting your turn, difficulty sitting in your seat or fidgeting, things like that. And all of those are true. And when we're, especially, especially sometimes when we are looking at adults who maybe haven't been diagnosed like myself, there are, there's a lot of masking that people learn to do over time to try to at least appear on the surface that they are able to maintain and that they are doing fine. It's not always the case. Frequently, it's frequently not the case. There's a lot going on in here. The way that questions are asked, it does, ultimately, it doesn't really matter treatment-wise which type of ADHD it is for the most part. Medication's the same therapeutic interventions are going to not necessarily be the same, but coming at it from a same standpoint of if you have more difficulties regulating emotions, for example, and it's coming out as an impulsive act, if it's difficulty regulating that other people can see and observe, you know, distress tolerance skills from things like dialectic behavior therapy, for example, can come in handy. A lot of people internalize those emotion dysregulation tendencies, and you can see things more frequently come out in self-harming behaviors, binge eating disorder behaviors, anxiety, like intense anxiety, panic attacks, things like that, because they're not externalizing it because they know they're not supposed to. Right. And it's trapped inside. It's coming out in some way. So the way that we ask the questions matters and looking at the lifespan really matters because. Yeah. So that's a really great place to kind of segue into your life. When I'm looking at the symptoms, like, There's a negative self-image, a lack of motivation, easily bored, not being able to sit still, 
starting tasks and not finishing other the ones you were doing before hobby talking too much (laughs) and i'm like (laughs) i'm like oh my gosh this was me my entire life and now i also know that i had a lot of trauma which we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that and there was very much a lot of like preventing my mind was walking into a room 18 million backup plans before i even knew it so my mind was always going a million miles an hour and i've never been diagnosed but who knows i probably would i don't now i don't feel like i'm that same way because i've done so Mm -hmm. much healing but when we talk about the beginning of your life story um yeah i i did go to i did go to college right out of high school and knew i didn't really want to yet like i knew i wanted to go to college i just didn't want to then but felt like i was supposed to and i went and promptly flunked out second semester i did not know that gpas went as low as mine had gone 0.67 it exists. It's that is an attainable, <laughs> attainable GPA number. And second semester at school, academic probation, whatever. And they told me I had to go meet with the school counselor. I don't remember her credentials. Doesn't matter. But after 35, 40 minutes, she was like, I think that you're bipolar. And, you know, uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that's like a big freak out moment. I would imagine that's a big freak out moment. Like, yes, except at that point, like I was, I got really interested in mental health stuff in high school and would read like mostly memoirs and and stuff. Had a basic knowledge. Didn't have a lot of knowledge, but had a basic knowledge and and. I knew that you had to have had a manic or hypomanic episode. And I think that she honed in on the fact that I slept at different, like unconventional times. I still slept every night and I needed to. And I think she also honed in on, I was engaging in some reckless behaviors, full disclosure, like I was partying a lot. And so I think in retrospect, I think she honed in on those two things, but I was still sleeping. I hadn't had a, a manic episode, any of that stuff. And so when I walked out of there, I I did not think that she was correct. And I didn't, didn't go back and so, just kind of ignored it. A couple of things here. And I think misdiagnosis and the labels that get put on people can be yeah. hugely traumatic. Absolutely. And even... even labels that are correct can be hugely traumatic but i'm curious so you didn't do well in college did you do well in high school i did what was i mean well difference do you think so all of this is in retrospect of course and especially like diving into learning more and more about adhd and reflecting back and things it just it fits in all the ways, so do other things, but that absolutely fits. I had a lot of structure. My parents were pretty strict. I had the structure of school. I was in a lot of extracurriculars. I was in theater, choir, sports, all the things. I was constantly doing stuff. I started working when I was 15. I had a time, my life was structured. And I think some people were thinking, oh, well, she just did that thing where she got away from structure and freaked out. ADHD, as much as a lot of ADHDers tend to fight structure and not want it, it is necessary. It is ne- it's so necessary and without it. So you do see a lot of people who maybe aren't diagnosed until later. And I use some of this in some of my assessing for ADHD to see how were things when you had the structure, what happened outside of that structure when that was gone. I think that that was a lot of it. With misdiagnoses, yeah, a lot of a lot of the labels, I struggle with labels. I'm sure I'll go on a tangent about that later. <laughs> but had I continued with like mental health care at that time, in retrospect, and now knowing a lot about labels and being in a position where I do, I do, I have to diagnose people, 
I would not be surprised though. Bipolar, absolutely not. It still haven't had a hypomanic or manic episode, although sometimes ADHD hyperfocus can mimic hypomania, like a, the lesser version in some ways. But in a decent chunk of my 20s, early 20s, had I sought care, I could have very well easily been given a borderline personality disorder diagnosis, which is the have like the most stigmatized, it shouldn't be, but it is the most stigmatized diagnosis out there in terms of mental health, unfortunately. And wondering like, what would that have meant to me or for me? I would love to believe that it wouldn't matter. And I have no idea. Those two things, bipolar, now it's bipolar one and two, and it would have been a bipolar two diagnosis, I assume, had it been correct. Those are pretty common, especially for women to be misdiagnosed with when it's ADHD. Mm -hmm. Anxiety and depression are really common ones, which are diagnoses that I have been given before, like once I did seek treatment and PTSD. So, And so when you rejected this bipolar diagnosis Mm -hmm. and you continued you failed out of school mm-hmm. you moved home is mm-hmm. that correct you moved briefly home. yeah yeah what what was the next big step for you after that i moved i moved home for the summer and then moved out and took a year off of school much to my oh. parents chagrin but i was like i don't want to be there have i not proven this <laughs> have i not have i not proven this right and moved out and just moved into a house with like seven other people. It was awful and worked um, for, I think, maybe a year, year and a half, and then decided I wanted to go back to school. So I did and went to community college to bring my GPA back up so I could get back into four-year school. And it was, it took a long time. It took a long time to get my GPA back up switched majors a few times, but they were all generally within political science, indigenous studies, things like that. And ended up graduating with my bachelor's in 2006, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. And in that time, in that journey, kind of within the poli-sci umbrella, got really interested in Africa and African politics and, and women in African politics took a trip with with a national group, a fair trade group, to work with coffee farmers in Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. Fell in love with Uganda in particular. Applied for another program like six months later, strictly in Uganda, focusing on the war in northern Uganda, and then decided that I wanted to move to Uganda and to do that to justify that. I was like, I'll go to I'll go to grad school. And I really did want to study peace and conflict studies and focus on the war. Because I, in my undergrad, I had thought about going to law school to do international law and took some international law classes my last year of my undergrad and then quickly realized that it doesn't really exist. I mean, it exists, but the implementation piece doesn't happen very much or very efficiently. And I knew, I knew, and now it makes sense, but I knew that that would not keep me engaged like if I didn't see any outcome. And so decided to go to Makere University, which is in Kampala, Uganda, in the capital, and do my master's in peace and conflict studies. So one of the things here, I see you're like, wait a minute, I want to do this thing, but it's not going to give me what I need to Mm -hmm. feel fulfilled. That's a big be the wolf quality, like recognizing what it is that you need to feel fulfilled. And for you, you needed to be able to do things that created tangible outcomes. Yep. Is that an ADHD quality? It can be. It is. It can be. It, it definitely can be. So can hobby hopping or 
major slash degree hopping, <laughs> career hopping, <laughs> or, things like that. Moving or, across the world to. <laughs> so these are all things that when I, as I started really learning what ADHD kind of can look like, frequently does look like in different ways. I've had a tremendous amount of privilege that has allowed me to do some of the crazy crap that I've done. And I, yeah, because my life could have very much looked way different if I didn't have tremendous support from my family and, and some really right. solid friends. But very much like ADHD years, not all, you know, we're not all the same and it all presents differently. Right. But there is a pretty high tendency because there's a dopamine deficiency or we're not, we're using it up really fast. And so we, our brains need to create more. And if it's not, we are going to the thing that will do it, whether it's eating, doing drugs, any risk-taking behaviors, including running towards the, the flame or the fire that most people kind of run away from. Um moving to Uganda, mm -hmm. especially when you're not 100% sure you've been accepted to the program, but you have a plane ticket, you sold 95% of your stuff. So you're going to go <laughs> and find out, <laughs> find out what happens. So right, that jumping in that leaping. Yeah. And then you when you got back, you were diagnosed with PTSD. Was it a specific incident that you were diagnosed with PTSD or was it more kind of CPTSD where it was a bunch of like things stacked on top of each other? So another retrospect, because the, my therapist who's amazing actually didn't tell me my labels because some therapists do, some therapists don't. And she didn't. And I finally asked him like, so what's, I was like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and she was like, wait, we've been doing all of this work to like have you not used that language? I'm like, yeah, I'm just kidding. Like, what what are you putting on insurance or whatever? Because that's a right. big part of it. We have to do that from day one because of insurance companies. But and she told me anxiety, like generalized anxiety, depression, and PTSD. And I didn't ask further. I didn't know about CPTSD at the time. Right. And I think that's a relatively new-ish term. Relatively, yeah. Yeah. And it's still not a diagnosis and in, in the manual, right? It should be, it's not yet. But in retrospect, I, I would probably say it's more CPTSD, although she did talk about some secondary trauma because I was working with people affected by war and hearing, hearing and taking in some really horrific stories right. and pushing it down. And because there's just so much stuff all the time all around me that I realized I was just pushing down, pushing down, pushing down, because what else are you going to do? And well, now I, now I know <laughs> the alternatives, <laughs> but at the time I'm like, well, yeah, but kind of going through different things. And I was in, in a longer term kind of emotionally abusive relationship while I was there mm. that did quite a bit of damage to me. Right. Um, and those so, were the primaries. I saw, I witnessed a couple of things that were not great. And right. And, so let's, let's not relive them. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm honestly fine talking about them. I just, I don't want to traumatize uh, the viewers and listeners. Um, right. So but, yeah. One of the things that I really resonate with is Gabor Mate's theory of where where ADHD actually comes from. And his, you know, I think the standard viewpoint is that it, you're born with it. Mm -hmm. And his viewpoint is that it comes, it starts when you're an infant. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that I know with the work that I do, unwinding stuff and reprogramming the unconscious mind, it lines up a lot with what he says. And he believes that when you are a sensitive child and you experience stress in the home and stress could be parent, it could be something like 
a subway track right outside your window, the scary loud noise happening all the time, but you're an infant and you cannot move, you can't run, you can't hide, you can't fight back, you can't speak, you literally can't even roll over yet. Or if you're around parents who are going through stress, not always, you know, yelling and screaming or anything crazy like that, but sometimes it's financial stress or, of course, like political stress, uh, whatever the parents go through emotionally, kids tend to pick up when they're very small, especially if they're a sensitive child. And so his theory is that to try to escape the stress, the infant will kind of check out, dissociate. And I know that when you develop a strategy that works, mm -hmm. it becomes a learned behavior. And so if you've started doing something to keep yourself safe mm -hmm. and to protect yourself, when you're very small, your little tiny nervous system is in this fight and flight. You're trying to escape the stress, but you can't move. So your attention, your mind is going anywhere and everywhere. And because, and then it becomes a pattern that whenever there's stress or an uncomfortable feeling or any kind of fear, which let's face it happens all the time when you were a child because you don't understand the world yet, that becomes the go-to reaction. I can't sit still, I have to get away and I can't have fidgety, whatever it might be. And so from that viewpoint, it becomes about healing trauma. And trauma, uh, my definition of trauma is not always this crazy big thing that happened to you. It is something that is emotionally overwhelming. Right. When you are overwhelmed with emotions, it registers to your nervous system as trauma because you cannot process mm -hmm. all of the emotions. And so, you know, you with a different lean of background than me, Mm -hmm. What do you think about Gabor Mate's theories about the source of ADHD? One thing, one thing that I do so within within my profession, which I'm a social I'm a social worker, is my credentialing. Within that, we have to what we use, the tools that we use have to be evidence based, right? Right. Within within that, uh, whether it's therapeutic interventions or not, psychoeducation even with ourselves, I really lean into being open. We talked a little bit before we started the broadcast. I think there's so much that we know about the brain and there's so much that we don't know about the brain. No, it's a whole new frontier. Well, it's it always is, been a whole new frontier, it but it's right. so cool. It's it's very cool. I wish it moved faster, but you know, I always <laughs> want everything to move faster. But I I don't disagree with the theory. I would even argue just slightly a step further that if if ADHD is really more of a, a trauma related response or mechanism, protective mechanism, I don't think it necessarily has to start at infancy. I think mm -hmm. that it can start in the womb. I know mm -hmm. we've been learning more about generational trauma and how it changes DNA. So even if the pregnancy itself is fine and stress-free physically, but also mom is yeah. in the absence of stressors somehow, I don't know how that's possible in today's world, but you know, let's say for fun that it right. is, if her childhood wasn't great, there's trauma passed through DNA or it changes our DNA. And the child, you're, when you have an emotion, it releases a chemical set in your body. And if you're a baby in the womb, you feel every emotion that your mother right. feels. Right. And I, I've traced some of my clients, a lot of my clients have ADHD and mm -hmm. some of the stuff. And we go back and find what the source event is of a particular stress or a particular right. emotion. And it shows up in the womb quite often. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, what are you going to do? You're trapped in, in the belly. How yeah. are you going to try to escape whatever the thing is? And I even right. remember once doing this workshop and doing this process, it was like, I had these memories of trying to create these like lattices and compartments to hide in and protect myself in. Mm -hmm. And I know what my mom was going through when she was pregnant with me, a lot of stress, yeah. a lot of resentment. So I definitely yeah. can see how, you know, whatever yeah. escape mechanism we, we choose becomes a pattern. Well, and I life. think that yeah, I mean, thinking about trauma in that way, like I, I was adopted from birth and I learned with that same therapist that with the PTSD diagnosis and all of that, it hadn't occurred to me that there's an existence of adoption trauma, even in the, even in the best case scenario, right? Like my family is not perfect because that doesn't exist, but they're pretty great. And there's this narrative with adoption that it's win-win for everybody. Bio parents can't, for whatever reason, keep a kid. Adoptive parents want the kid, blah, 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 all of that. And that, for me, felt true. Um, and then I did realize, I'm like, oh, there's trauma being just simply being separated, even if it's the yeah. in the best interest of the child alone. Of course there's trauma it's that every, happens there. Everything and, you've ever known, the heartbeat that you right. knew that you had the whole time you were coming into the world. And then all of a sudden you're around a different heartbeat. Yeah. You're, and there's you're, taking, you're ripped away from everything, you know, with zero understanding, zero ability to communicate or have any control right. over anything. Of course, that's going to be a, a trauma. Yeah. That actually, that led me with that therapist and me, how it was one of like 5 million aha moments, um, actually led me to seek out my biological people because I hadn't been interested and I found them. <laughs> and yeah, I think that their things were chaotic while she was pregnant. So there was and definitely continued to be. It solidified the fact that, yes, I totally lucked out and won the jackpot in terms of who raised right. me. I already assumed that was true, but had that confirmation. But also when I'm thinking about these things and thinking about trauma in the womb and all of this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was definitely probably happening or yeah pretty confirmed yeah. so yeah. yeah yeah it's a pretty cool thing to think about that you know we are learning more and more about healing trauma and mm -hmm. if we can heal those very very early traumas that you can have a relief somewhat of your symptoms right. and so but the thing is is we get superpowers from the way we cope and respond. Mm -hmm. There becomes every everything that potentially happens to you that might be negative, you might learn a superpower. Maybe you become a people pleaser and maybe sometimes that's not always the greatest thing, but you probably are really good at anticipating people's needs. And there are professions that are really great for that. Mm -hmm. You are <laughs> really good at being able to notice what's going on with other people, being empathetic, things like that. And here's the thing, my experience of my own trauma being healed and working with other people on their trauma in the work that we do, if there's something that needs to be cleared up so that they can step into the full career fulfillment that they're looking for, is that you heal the trauma so that need to do it that feels unhealthy and it's, oh, it's fear-based becomes balanced and you get to keep the superpowers. Yeah. So what are some of the superpowers learning to really like step into using your ADHD brain for you? Mm -hmm. What are some of the superpowers that come from it? I think so. 
I am a wealth of a whole bunch of random information, most of which is useful, not all of it, but most of it is. Like in my in my current position, I work in community mental health. And so we get all kinds, we get everybody, right? All walks of life, all types of different needs. And more recently have been helping and received a very recent, a, a very complex and very recent client who is a refugee from Ukraine. And I have worked in country with internally displaced persons, but also worked in Kansas City at a refugee resettlement agency as part of one of my practicum practicum placements. So know this side too. And so I was able to really help out in a way that probably none of my other colleagues would with that. So that's like one hat. Like I have all of these different hats that I've worn because I've changed when I'm like, I need, I need more. This isn't what I need. I can help you with your home insurance claim and reading your policy because I spent not out of desire, more out of necessity after moving back to the U.S., worked in insurance for a little while, which mm. thrust me into going back to school, which I swore I was not going to do, to do my master's in social work to be where I am now. One of the things, too, that I see in doing social work and dealing with different kinds of people going through different things, I think one of the markers is of ADHD is that you get bored easily. So you need things to be constantly like shifting and moving and more possibility to learn and grow. And so I definitely see how the work that you're doing now really lends to that working with your brain. It does. And before here, I was working in crisis. So more acute crisis work. And I think i whether it's mental health crisis stuff or what, I tend to be pretty dang good in a crisis. I can think on my toes and problem solve. And I just look at things differently than a lot of my neurotypical peers I've noticed in a really helpful way, like problem solving. I love problem solving. I am an idea factory doesn't mean that I can implement it, although I have. I started a business in in Uganda while I was there working with women artisans, went for 12 years, did a a lot of stuff there, implemented every piece of it. So I can implement things very much so, but not in relation to the amount of ideas that run through this noggin. Sense of humor. ADHDers are known to have a really good sense of humor. Um, and I think that I, I do usually, <laughs> not everyone always gets the joke, but that's fine. That's their problem. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 100% <laughs> their problem. Yeah. Now here's the, something that I think, you know, we talked about labels mm-hmm. and you know, once you have a diagnosis of ADHD, what does that actually get you? I know most every single person I know that's gotten their diagnosis, they say, oh my gosh, everything makes so much sense now. I understand why I am the way I am. Mm-hmm. And does the, you know, I can see two sides of this. I can see people say, like, oh, I'm just not going to try anymore because I have this problem and I'm going to be a victim to it. But Mm -hmm. some of the most brilliant, wealthy, successful people have ADHD. So it's not an excuse, people, for giving up. It's just, I think, learning how to work with it. But what does the diagnosis actually get you? It depends on what you want it to get you. So Mm. one medication can help and there are non-stimulant meds that work for some people it can be really it can be really helpful if you want to do that and it is considered the frontline whatever there is a huge deficit the real deficit is not in the ADHD brain it's in providers knowledge and understanding mm-hmm. of ADHD and a lot of a lot of our typical therapeutic models aside from getting like working on some of the trauma can alleviate 
alleviate a lot sometimes for some people. Um, but a lot of our general therapeutic models don't, don't work in the way that they are for a lot of ADHD brains. So a lot of the tips like just use a planner, just use this, do this. Right. It's some of those things can work and it needs to be more specific. And so I'm, I'm working on dipping my toes in trying to provide a bit more education to some of my some of my colleagues at work in terms of treatment. I started an ADHD group for client ADHD clients to really focus on, okay, what strategies can we use in these different areas? How do we define success? How do we define a tool or strategy that works? How are we defining it works? Because right. you hear a lot, well, it doesn't, I've tried that, it doesn't work. It's like, okay, how, how have you tried a to-do list? Does it just like, if you're thinking about cleaning the house, is it clean the house or is it clean the bathroom, clean the kitchen, blah, blah, blah. Can you, can you break it down more? Because that's going to be more helpful. Have a to-do list that's just the bathroom with each individual thing because writing the list gets some dopamine flowing. Each task that you complete you get some dopamine. You get a little bit more right. when you cross it off the list and that can cause a positive feedback loop to keep you going. Any what are steps? some healthy ways to <laughs> get that? Not binge eating, doing drugs, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, for regardless of label, one of the best answers for a lot of different brain things is some exercise and some time outside. And that yeah. can have both of those can have profound effects on ADHD brains. Getting to it is different, but working on a lot of different strategies and the way that we talk about some of the current therapeutic interventions that we use, kind of slight restructuring. Yeah. And psychoeducation goes so, so, so far. Because when you start to understand yourself, especially as an adult, I spent 42 years feeling different, feeling like I wasn't smart. And like a lot of my, most of my close friends are pretty dang smart and sometimes feeling like I wasn't. And it's not, it, that's not true. I'm very intelligent. I just yeah. sometimes need <laughs> a different way to, to get that delivered to my brain and need it to not be math. <laughs> you start saying numbers at me and my eyes glaze over and I I have ADHD dissociation hard. I'm just like checked out. And you can tell. You can tell. That's funny. Well, and I think that it goes for anybody. It's about finding the strategies that work for you. Right. And yes, maybe there's this one strategy that works for a bulk of the population, but whether you have ADHD or not. Mm -hmm. it might not work for you. And so right. no matter what it is, it's about finding the strategies. And, well, and also if it yeah. works 30% of the time, it works. Yeah. Right. Cause then 30% yeah. of the time you're, you're getting that thing done. Whereas maybe before it was closer to zero or 10%. So if right. your percentage is going up with how often the phone reminder actually helps you to remember to do the thing. Yeah. If you're above 15%, even 10%, right? Anything above yeah. zero. That's working. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Know. What would be one thing if somebody is thinking about maybe I do have ADHD? What would be your piece of advice? Oh, do some deep breathing. <laughs> and try to practice as much patience as possible because more often than not obtaining the diagnosis is a it's just an unfriendly process but particularly unfriendly to an ADHD brain. I lucked out. I knew exactly where to go and and whatever and that is not the norm. It is not a fast process depending some primary right. care providers will do a brief assessment and prescribe medications if that is what you're wanting to try out. Initially, every agency has its own rules and regulations around that diagnosis. 
there are some online, there are online platforms that will do telehealth with you that I think a lot of people are leaning into because if you want to do the full battery of site testing, there aren't a lot of places that offer it. It can, it can be cost prohibitive and the wait lists, the main place in Lawrence that does full psychological testing here that some employers might require there's different levels of it. Their wait list is two years right now. So, so that all sounds very overwhelming and like uh-huh. every other freaking medical process of trying to get help <laughs> that there is. What I, um, what I recommend people is if they have a primary care, maybe talk with them, see what they think. There are a couple of assessment tools online that can be helpful, but if you're already thinking that this might be there, you've probably already done done those or something like it, like an online quiz. Talk to your primary care. If you're wanting accommodations for work, they might require check their requirements because they might make you get on one of those wait lists for the full psych testing. But otherwise, technically, therapists, psychiatrists, med providers technically can diagnose it. It just depends on if they will or not. Okay. Now, is there anything else that you want to tell the people? Oh, man. Five million things. (laughs) Of course, five million things. I know. I think kind of going along the line of labels, it, 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 it matters and it doesn't certain types of treatment absolutely it matters to get that confirmation but it does not define you every label that's out there there is beauty in (laughs) in the presentation right we all have our strengths we all have our challenges to work on every single person whether they've been labeled diagnostically or not and just trying to be open and willing and learn about it. If you are labeled something, learn about it. Do that psychoeducation because it can really help the amount of relief, particularly with ADHD, but also others as well. PTSD actually, or, or trauma, any trauma disorder. When I start talking to people about that, just the amount of relief that they feel to be like, wait, okay, there's some reasoning behind this, what can I do to work, work with this? Yeah. Work through this, work beyond this. And I just, I think that's really important. To know that you're okay. Yeah. And you're not a weirdo. I mean, we're we're all weirdos. Embrace. I'm like all into leaning into my weird. I'm a total weirdo and I love it. I mean, not always, but most of the time I do. And it's important. It's what being the wolf is all about, being yeah. who you're born to be. We are, there's a reason we are not like every single other person. We don't look exactly like every single other person. We think in our own unique ways, and it's shaped by so many different factors. Right. And in that process, you know, we're not all meant to do the same job, have the same career. And, and if we were all the same, nothing would really work (laughs) because everybody would be trying to do the exact same thing. And then who's going to do the other things. And so when you are really looking into finding that career, that's just right for you, and addressing all the stuff that keeps you stuck in these careers that you hate. Sometimes sometimes it is because of trauma. Sometimes it's because of those social expectations or parental expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're ready to find true career empowerment, fulfillment, jump on a call with me. Let's talk about what it will take for you to have the life and the career that you really want, how to make all of your things, your superpowers and your so-called flaws, which are not necessarily flaws. It's just trying to create balance, how to fit that into a career that you love. So if you're ready, go to elevatebookacall.com 
and stop right now, put it in your browser, <laughs> <laughs> type in elevatebookacall.com because if you do have ADHD, you might forget later. <laughs> put, put several recurring reminders in your phone as well <laughs> and don't snooze them. Yeah. And Kate, I love that you are one of these people that are helping people have a better life that you have fought through so many different things that you get to bring this wide breadth of experience to your practice. And I've worked with a handful of therapists and people in my life, some social workers when I was young. It makes a big difference when somebody has that flexibility. That's another big ADHD quality to be able to shift and pivot with what's happening in the moment. So I'm really glad that you're out there helping people. Thank you. I am too. It's one of those things. Like if I realized I was really depressed when I worked in, in insurance because I didn't have purpose. And I had mm -hmm. had purpose before and I felt like I lost it. And I'm like, I have to, I have to feel purpose in my life for me to be happy. So it's giving a lot, a lot to me. And I do pivot. I have clients that will bounce around from topic to topic with or without ADHD. And they'll be like, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. I'm like, my brain loves it. I am following you 100%. <laughs> and they're like, okay. I'm like, yeah, I can, that. Yeah, it's keeping yeah. me engaged. It's giving me dopamine. I appreciate it. Love that. it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Finding purpose in your work is also a big piece of that tr true career fulfillment. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank I could you. just go on and talk to you forever about all me of these too. things. <laughs> so, but I'm going to cut it short because or I'm actually cutting it long. Right, right. <laughs> all right, thank you again. And for all of you listening and watching, we will see you next time on Be The Wolf. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.